I want you to imagine with me a church that has grown from a dozen members to about 15,000 members in two years. That, that would just be phenomenal growth, wouldn't it? I mean, the whole country would be talking about that church. Imagine people coming from everywhere to be a part of that church. Church has strong leadership. The church has enthusiastic members. They have one fantastic preacher. He is a top-notch communicator of God's Word. He is a miracle worker. Every day, miracles are happening at this church. The lame are raised up to walk. The lepers are cleansed. The dead are being raised to life. At this church, the water is turned into wine. No wonder everybody wants to be a part of this church. And even recently, there has been a time that the preacher took a small boy's lunch and multiplied it to feed the whole congregation after church service. A free meal. I mean, this church is the place to be. But then one morning, things change drastically. The preacher preaches a sermon. And it's a very hard sermon. And boom, the congregation goes from 15,000 members back to 12. And the preacher even gives those 12 the opportunity to walk away. I want you to understand that is exactly what took place in the ministry of Jesus, with, and particularly in John chapter 6, which is where we are at today. When Jesus fed the crowd of 5,000 men, and that didn't include the women and the children, and that crowd could have easily swelled to 15,000 people on that day. When he fed that crowd, he was at the peak of his popularity. Everybody wanted to come and be near Jesus. In fact, the crowd had plans for Jesus. They wanted him to be their king. John 6.15 says they tried by force to make him their king. This was going to be so perfect for the Jews. Jesus would be their king. And with his kind of power and authority, he could free them from Rome's rule. He could heal all of their sick and wounded. He could even feed them free bread and fish. And under his leadership, they were going to be at the top of the world. It was going to be so good. Except there was one problem. And that was Jesus refused to be their king. This was not a part of his plan. You remember, he said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. He didn't come to rule over an earthly kingdom. He didn't come to free the Jews from Rome's power. He came to free them and us from Satan's power. He came to rescue mankind from the dominion of darkness and to bring us into the light. So when he refused to fit into their plan, 
the crowd became disenchanted with him, and it set the stage for his next sermon, which after that sermon, the crowd walked away from him. My question is, what was in that sermon that caused so many people to walk away? Well, we're going to answer that question. As we look into John chapter 6, I want to read to you verses 26 and 27. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me today. We're going to read a lot of these verses out of John chapter 6. Verse 26 and 27, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Jesus never shied away from speaking the truth. He got after the people that day because they were more interested in the physical than in the spiritual. They were after a free meal when they should have been after the food that endures to eternal life. And I can't help but think Jesus would like to say some of the same things to to so many of us. That we oftentimes are chasing after the physical when we should be chasing after the spiritual. He says, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. How many times do we find ourselves fully engaged to the physical, but we have very little interest in the spiritual? We throw our whole self into the world, and we have very little left for Jesus. It's sad, and when that is the case, we have been duped by the devil. The world is passing away. The world is temporary. The world cannot bring fulfillment to us. All of that stuff that we chase after, it won't bring fulfillment to us. Our career, our money, our investments, our worldly pleasures, Solomon says all of that is vanity. It's empty. It's meaningless. If the world is what we are giving ourselves to, then we are going to be greatly disappointed when it's all said and done. There's only one thing that satisfies, and that is Jesus. And if you're one who is fully giving yourself to Jesus, then you know what I'm saying is true. John 10.10, Jesus said this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The New Living Translation treats that verse this way. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, he's not talking there about riches in money. Uh, That's the last thing on his mind. What he's saying is this. I have come that you might have a fulfilled life. I want you to have a rich life joy-filled life. I want you to have peace. I want you to have love. I I want you to have a God-filled life because that's the only kind of life that is going to last into eternity. Everything else falls short. He said, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. 
Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Question for you. How much energy are you expending into the eternal? Or is the majority of your energy spent on the physical? That's that's a question we sure need to consider. And what does Jesus mean when he says here in this verse that God had given him the seal of his approval? Basically, he means this, that God had confirmed Jesus. He had given him a thumbs up. At his baptism, you remember, the heavens opened up and a voice was heard saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And a dove came down from heaven and rested upon him. That was a visible and audible testimony from God saying that he was giving Jesus a thumbs up. He was confirming Jesus' identity. And miracles themselves empowered Jesus. He was empowered with these miracles. Those miracles confirmed his identity. No mere man could do the things that Jesus did. Only God could do those kinds of things. And then there was the testimony of John the Baptist and and the testimony of all of the prophets ahead of time through the ages that were saying, this is what the Messiah is going to look like. And Jesus came along and he fulfilled all of those prophecies. He had God's stamp of approval upon him. And Jesus said, I am the one who can give to you eternal life. That's a bold statement. And he didn't just say it once in this sermon. He said it multiple times. Verse 40, he said, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. The Jews, as as they listened to Jesus on that day, they could not miss what he was saying. He was claiming to be from God. Let me read to you several verses here. Verses 32 and 33. Just as as I read these verses, just note this message that Jesus is presenting, that he is from God. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all of that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 47. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Over and over again, he says that he is from God. He says, I have come down out of heaven. I have been sent by God the Father, and it is in me that you have eternal life, Jesus says. And the Jews are hearing this, and they're looking at one another, and they're saying, has this guy gone off of his rocker? I mean, isn't this the son of Joseph and Mary whom we know? And they were struggling to put it all together. But he really was who he claimed to be. And his miracles gave evidence to that. He was the true bread of heaven. About 11 times in this chapter, this sermon that he preaches to them, he makes reference to the fact that he is the true bread of life. In other words, he is our sustenance. He is the one who fills us up. He is the one who satisfies us. There is no life apart from Jesus. Have you put your faith in Jesus? I mean, that's what we need to do. We need to believe in him. The Jews were asking, what must we do to do the works God requires? You hear that question? Mark Moore refers to that question as the question of humanity. What must I do to be favorable to God? Notice the emphasis upon the word do. Simple answer to that question. Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. We could never do enough work to earn God's favor. I could never preach enough sermons. I could never give enough money to missions. I could never baptize enough people. I could never pray enough prayers. Nobody can do enough good deeds to earn God's favor. And I mean nobody. The work that we need to do Jesus said, is to simply believe in him. He is the one who has already done all of the work. That's what the cross was all about. He died so that we could live. He paid the penalty for sin so that we wouldn't have to. We simply need to believe in him as the son of God and the true bread from heaven who is able to fill our every need. Have you believed in him to that degree? Have you put your trust in him? Have you chosen to believe in the only begotten son of God? If you choose to believe in him, you will have eternal life. But if you choose not to believe in him, then you are choosing to perish. We need to understand the word belief. It's more than just head knowledge. It involves head knowledge. Yes, we need to know who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, that he died on the cross, that he raised from the dead. We need to to know that he is the only way to be saved. We need to know that he loves us, that he, he did all of these miracles, that he was a great teacher. 
We need to know all of that truth about Jesus. We need to know that he's coming back to take us to heaven. But true belief involves more than head knowledge. The scripture says even the demons believe and tremble. The devil knows all of that stuff about Jesus. And so our belief needs to go a step further than head knowledge. The belief that God is looking for is a complete surrender to his will. We choose to trust him with our life, and that trust leads to a change of living. This fall, we're going to get away from this Life of Christ series for a couple of months. And, and as we have done over the last several years... We're going to embark upon a fall campaign that will correlate the Sunday morning sermons with the Sunday evening small groups. And and we really want every one of you to be involved in a small group this fall. Please give consideration and be willing to get involved in a small group. We're going to take a look at Kyle Eidelman's book, God's at War. You remember Kyle is the one who did last year's fall's ball campaign, not a fan. And this book is equally good. I've been reading it. And as I was reading it just this week, I found this story about a girl named Kylie Basuti. Now this, I I don't know if that name is familiar to you. It was not to me at all. And my wife would probably say it better not be familiar to you because Kylie is a model. She was a fashion model for Victoria's Secret. (laughs) But I want to read you her story that I found in Kyle's book. She says this, Victoria's Secret was my absolute biggest goal in life. It was all I ever wanted career-wise. Just before her dreams came true, Basuti had gotten married. She and her husband were followers of Christ and she couldn't help but think about what she was doing and the example she was setting. She realized there was a great deal of difference between modeling clothing and flaunting provocative undergarments. She came to the conclusion that her body was for her husband to see and not for millions of viewers on the internet. She also realized she cared deeply about the legions of young Christian girls who looked up to her. She worried that it would be so much easier for them to begin choosing skimpy, suggesting clo- suggestive clothing because of her example. There was something else. And she, by the way, she quit her job of being this model for Victoria's Secret. She gave it up because of Jesus in her life and for her husband. And this is what she said. I finally achieved my biggest dream, my goal in life, that dream I always wanted, but when I finally got it, it wasn't all that I thought it would be. Wow. You see, when we give ourselves to the world, and we may achieve it, we may reach our goal. And you know what we're going to find when we get to the top? That the ladder is leaning against the wrong building. And there's not fulfillment there. There's not happiness and peace and all that the world promises to us. It just doesn't give to us what it promises. 
Only Jesus, only Jesus satisfies. And when we put our faith in him, it leads to a changed life. We are not to look like the world. We are to be different from the world. That means we are to be different in what we say, how we speak. We are to be different in how we think. We are to be different in how we spend our money. We are to be different in what we do with our time, where our energy is invested, what our, what our attitudes are and our perspective on life, what it is that we're just consumed with. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for Him. We serve Him. We love Him. We witness for Him. We give to Him. We do for Him because He has already done for us. And what He has done is He has given His life on the cross for us. I hope that people can tell that you're a Christian. If, if they can't, then something is wrong. People ought to look at us and they see our attitude on life and they see how we talk and, or they hear how we talk. They see what we're doing and they should know that we're a Christian. Our light should contrast the world's darkness. This is the work, so to speak, the work that Jesus is speaking about for us that we would believe in the one whom he has sent. Let me read to you verses 46 through 48 or through 58 of John chapter 6. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. Can, can you just imagine... As they're hearing this, they're going, what? He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Let me, let me just read to you what Mark Moore has to say about this passage of Scripture because this is, this is an interesting passage of Scripture here and one that needs to be explained. This, this is what he says. Jesus' words are shocking even offensive. You can almost hear them gasp as Jesus talks about drinking blood and gnawing flesh. 
The audience is scandalized. They begin to argue about it. Now, you might think Jesus would lighten up a bit and say, now, don't take it literally, but he doesn't. In fact, he presses the metaphor further. He says, now, obviously, this is a figure of speech. Jesus is not advocating the revolting practice of cannibalism and drinking blood. And he recites several Old Testament passages where that is forbidden of God's people. He goes on. He says he is talking about accepting him at the deepest levels. He is speaking of participation and incorporation of his character, purposes, and nature. But just how does one feed on Jesus He has already answered that in verse 35 by coming to Jesus and believing in him. I will tell you there are a lot of folks who take this passage of Scripture and they make a mistake with it. They think that he's talking about communion in this passage. And they even go so far as to say that when we partake of communion, the juice becomes his blood... And the bread becomes his flesh as it's in our mouth. That's not the case at all. This scripture is not talking about communion. It's talking about that which is to come. That which is just around the corner that Jesus is going to give his body and blood for the world. And it will be through that sacrifice that the world will be saved. We could say it this way. John chapter 6 is a foreshadowing of the cross. In other words, it's looking forward to the cross. Communion today is a looking back on the cross. And so it is all closely related, but this is not a reference to communion. And Jesus is not teaching that the, blood, the bread and the, and the juice becomes his body and his blood. The Jews struggled with all of this. They didn't get it straight in their mind and they walked away from Jesus. Do you know what the amazing thing is? He let them walk away. He let them walk away. He was not interested in fluff disciples. In other words, he wasn't looking to be popular. He wasn't looking just at the numbers. He was looking to be Lord. And if people were not willing to be forsaking everything and following him, then he was willing to let them go. And that crowd of 15,000 people dwindled down to 12. And Jesus, in those verses that follow, indicates that he knows even amongst the 12, there was one who really didn't believe. He even calls him the devil. And he's making reference to Judas, whom he knows is going to betray him. In just a year away. The popularity of Jesus reached its pinnacle. With the feeding of the 5,000. And with the sermon on the bread of life. He began to have his popularity. Go in a downward slide. And his journey to the cross. 
is becoming more and more clear. And he even gives his own disciples a chance to walk away. He said in verse 67, You do not want to go away also, do you? (laughs) Do, Do you want to go with them? Go ahead, he says. And it was Peter. It was Peter here who says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, Peter didn't always get it right, but he got it right that day. And Jesus still gives us a choice today. We can choose to believe in him and have eternal life. And we understand that involves our whole self in. But there's also that choice that he gives to us. He says, you can walk away. You can turn away. But if we do that, we're choosing to go to hell. And I pray that everyone here will make that right choice, that we will give him our trust, our belief. And to say with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? There is no other way. There is no one else to follow. You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he has given us that choice to follow him. and He has provided the way that if we would put our faith in him, we have eternal life. So help us to do that. Every single one of us here to give our whole self to him, to go deeper, to digest him into our being, that his thoughts would become our thoughts, that his ways would become our ways. We pray this in Jesus' name.